0: Good morning, good afternoon, <clears throat> good evening, wherever you are. My name is John Duke Anthony. <clears throat> I'm the founding president and chief executive officer of the National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations. It's me, John Duke Anthony, and I'm the We have the distinct pleasure of speaking to the Secretary General of what has arguably been the single most important and effective Arab sub-regional organization in modern Arab uh, history. Established in 1981, the GCC has had annual summits. It has ministerial uh, meetings on a quarterly basis and at times emergency meetings, uh, it has been a vital and viable and vibrant partner of the United States, especially in addressing matters pertaining to regional defense and stability. Uh, In the absence of security and stability, which so many Americans uh, take for granted, given America's superpower status. And it's two very friendly neighbors called the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. Um, We've worked together to bring an end to the 1980-88 Iran-Iraq War. We could not have done this without the uh, GCC countries. On uh, July 15, 1987, was a 15 out of 15 unanimous vote in the UN Security Council calling for an immediate ceasefire. Iraq accepted it immediately. Iran took 13 months before uh, accepting it with the then Ayatollah Khomeini saying he would rather have drank poison. Uh, And most importantly as a model of how to mobilize and deploy an internationally concerted action involving 34 countries uh, with another 20 willing uh, to participate uh, as needed uh, to reverse Iraq's aggression against Kuwait, uh, August the 2nd, 1990, and together, not separate, uh, we were able to restore safety and security, freedom, national sovereignty, political independence, and territorial integrity of Kuwait, <clears throat> which had been steamrolled uh, by Iraq's vastly greater, more numerous, more experienced. Uh, and recently experienced armed forces uh, in 1990-1991, known as the Desert Shield and uh, Desert Storm uh, in Western parlance, but uh, the Asmat Kuwaiti or the Kuwait Crisis, more particularly in um, in Arabic, uh, because that's what it was. It was not a Gulf War per se. Uh, it focused exclusively on evicting. Uh, uh, evacuating and evicting uh, Iraq's armed forces uh, from Kuwait, whose sovereignty, independence, and territory it had so blatantly and nakedly uh, violated. And we have continued to work together in search of greater regional peace, prosperity, and the underpinnings of security and stability, without which one cannot plan one cannot anticipate, one cannot prepare, let alone uh, envision being effective. To help us navigate some of these issues that are so poorly misunderstood or poorly understood, though they're quite much misunderstood, uh, but they're poorly understood. And so we lack the relevant information times, insight, knowledge, understanding, and absent those four phenomena, forces and factors, it's little wonder that we are short on the analysis front, let alone the wisdom front, in terms of American policies and positions, and American actions and attitudes regarding the six-state Gulf Cooperation Council, of Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, and Saudi Arabia. Uh, Without further ado, I want you to realize that we have a Kuwaiti career civil servant uh, who served as Kuwait's minister of finance, arguably no more important or vibrant and dynamic and regionally and internationally relevant uh, Kuwaiti ministerial portfolio exists. And this has been the case since even before Kuwait was independent. Indeed in 1954, seven years before it was fully independent when the British abrogated its longstanding treaties for defense and foreign relations pertaining uh, to Kuwait. Kuwait became uh, a foreign economic assistance development aid provider uh, to the less developed world. At one time, there were 88 countries benefiting from Kuwait. Now the number I'm told is closer to 120 And all of the recipients have gone on record as acknowledging Kuwait's national sovereignty and its political independence and territorial integrity. So you've had his excellency serve in that particular ministry, but also reflective of the majority of the GCC populations being youthful. Uh, He has been the minister of education and the minister of higher education and specialize at the academic university level as a professor of science and technology. Uh, he has his graduate degrees from the University of Illinois at Urbana, uh, I believe, uh, and has been in this position, uh, will be two years coming, this coming February the 1st of two thousand. Uh, 22. When we talk about the youth aspect, there are close to a million GCC citizens who've obtained their higher education in one form or another from the United States. Contrast that with the number of Americans who've obtained their four years undergraduate education from a university in the GCC countries. And if you round them off to the nearest even number that number is zero. So there's an enormous imbalance in the understanding of each other, language-wise, culture-wise, and otherwise, uh, but helping us uh, to come closer to understanding that which is poorly understood is uh, Dr. Nye Fala Al-Hajraf. Your Excellency, Secretary General, the floor is yours. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, thank you, thank you very much, Dr. John <clears throat> Duke Anthony. And uh, before I start my remarks, I'd like to thank you for the introductions. Uh, you just reflect some some uh, some uh, memory from the past uh, when you were mentioning the Desert Shield and Desert Storm to liberate Kuwait. I had the honor to be part of that operation uh, when we when I volunteered uh, to go inside kuwait just to do my part to liberate my beloved country now 32 years uh, since the liberation so many things have happened uh, and uh, the dynamics is is, is amazing but there is one uh, factor that we always will be grateful to to our friends and our allies who who stood beside us uh, not only kuwait uh, but also for the gc and this relation is something that we should capitalize on. It is a relation that has been tested so many times, and every time it gets stronger and stronger. Yes, there might be some, some, some uh, different views on how to address these issues, but there's always coming in a strong belief that it's only through corporations and working together we will be able to address all these issues. Um, another another point you just, you just raised is, how important we we, we we manage this imbalance you were referring to between the GCC and, and the US when it comes to better understanding the culture, uh, the youth and uh, and uh, so many issues. And I think this kind of platform is bridging this gap. Uh, yes, there is a gap, but I think it is, it's our mutual interest that we bridge the gap. So the the future generation will be able to better understand and value this kind of of relation and and move forward as the demand is is huge and the challenges uh, are real. And I think this is the time uh, where we need to get closer and closer. Um, Also, you did highlight about the 40th uh, anniversary of the GCC since it's established. And in this regard, if allow me, I'll just give some, some statistics. Uh, what have been do, done uh, within the 40 years time since the establishment of the GC in 1981. Uh, so far, we had 67 uh, summits uh, where the leaders actually uh, met. Uh, uh, soon, we will have our 42nd uh, annual summit, but there, was, there were some, some informal meetings and some sideline meetings in total, it is 67. Um, there, there are a common market, which is in place, a common uh, union custom, which is in place. There, is, there are in total 161 uh, law and act that has been approved by the Supreme Council, by the leaders, uh, of which 45.7 is mandatory and effective from day one, and the remaining is on the way to be, to be mandatory. Uh, on the other side, collectively, uh, the GCC is is contributing twenty two point eight percent of crude oil uh, to the the world economy. Uh, That's what the GCC at number one oil producers in the world. Um, also, we are we having we are having thirty one point five percent of the announced reserve of crude oil. Also, this puts the GCC at number one when it comes to the oil reservoir. Um, uh, when it comes to the natural gas, uh, we are contributing twenty point four percent to the need of the global economy. That put us number two as natural gas exporter. When it comes to reservoirs, at uh, third place with ten point three percent of the uh, announced natural gas uh, reserved and the DC collected. Uh, At the same time, we are at number 12 when it comes to the world economy with $1.7 trillion. Uh, That's what we are contributing to the the global GDP. It is 1.7%. And we are attracting 1.4% of the FDIs globally. So these are some statistics. Just to set the floor, what we are talking about and what have we achieved over the last 40 years yet. There is, there is a huge um, uh, transformation uh, and development plans that's undergoing now in uh, the all six uh, member state countries. And I think there are billions of billions of dollars being allocated. Uh, you have, I'm sure you've been following what's going on. Um, Saudi Arabia is, is chairing G20 last year, a presidency that reflects what Saudi Arabia is, is presenting as as a uh, global and regional uh, arena. Uh, I think during a very special and exceptional time, the G20 managed to contribute to the, uh, dealing with the pandemic. Uh, as we are speaking, Dubai is hosting the Expo 2020. It is an event. I will advise everyone just to go and pay a visit so you will see exactly what's going on. Next year, Qatar is hosting the FIFA World Cup 2022. So three international events is taking place within the GCC countries in less than two years span. Uh, you can imagine all the infrastructure, all the preparations that are taking place in order to, to, to host this event. And I'm sure uh, you've been following the news. So this is some, some statistic I just thought to start um, um, since you, you just elaborate of the GCC and where it started and and what have we achieved so far. Uh, your Excellency, Dr. John Duke-Anthony, uh, the founding president and the CEO of the National Council on U.S.-Arab Relation. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me a great pleasure to be with you uh, tonight or uh, morning in your time. I'm now uh, speaking from uh, Manama in Bahrain, in which we are attending the Manama Dialogue, double I, double S. It is a very important also platform to address security in the region. And thank you for your kind invitation to participate as a keynote speakers at the 30th annual U.S. Arab Policymakers Conference, titled this year, the U.S.-Arab relation addressing complex realities, a fresh vision, and the new possibilities. Today, we are meeting here again <clears throat> with the global distinguished policymakers to discuss common Arab-U.S. issues and relations. We have common interests and goals. We are seeking to achieve common understanding as well and views to achieve security and stability in the Arab region and the entire world. This conference and platform gives us the opportunity to exchange views, share information, set priorities, and understand the problems, and to put forward perceptions which will contribute to developing the Arab-U.S. relation and achieving prosperity and mutual interest. Ladies and gentlemen, today, as there are so many unknowns, many around the world await with deep concerns the consequences of the rapid U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. There are legitimate questions that need uh, to be answered. And would the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan encourage countries in the Middle East to accelerate their violent policies as demonstrated by Iran's destabilizing behavior and its interference in the internal affairs of its regional neighbors? What can the U.S. do to prevent terrorist organizations from rebuilding their capabilities and the free movements in Afghanistan? These accelerating incidents have left us with uncertainty and require us to work together to confront and address these concerns. Afghanistan is a neighboring country. We still don't know what's going on on the ground. There is no legitimate government yet. And there is, they fail to address international community uh, questions. Uh, So it is, an area that requires our full and undivided attention, And I always would like to give the example. Last year, when the world was attacked by this invisible virus, the pandemic, we have allocated all the resources and we put all the effort together to address this invisible pandemic or this invisible virus, which caused the pandemic. I can assure you that as we are speaking now, there are so many ongoing pandemics around us. These are the pandemics that are reflected in terrorist activities, uh, um, uh, not adhering with international law, uh, and and other issues that require our full and undivided attentions to address this ongoing pandemic. At our end, many GCC countries have played a central role in facilitating the evacuations of thousands of Afghans who were stuck and wished to leave the country through mechanism and coordinations with the concerned states and actors in Afghanistan to facilitate the largest and fastest evacuation operation ever recorded. Also, the GCC states have provided humanitarian and relief assistance to the Afghan people. In this regard, we call on the international community to shoulder its responsibility. Responsibilities for providing humanitarian support to Afghan people and to urge all Afghan parties to recourse to dialogue and to prioritize the national interest over all ideological, ethnic, and sectarian considerations, and not to restore to the use of threat of force so as to achieve comprehensive political solutions. Leading to a free, stabilized and independent Afghanistan in which there will be no place for terrorists or illegal groups. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot speak in this forum without highlighting the USGC partnership, in which I would like to emphasize that this is a long-standing strategic partnership that had ex- existed over decades. Such partnership was based on solid historical foundations and values of joint cooperation comp- and mutual interests, aiming to enhance regional and international stability, security, and prosperity. Based on a fair understanding that the security of the region depends on the adherence to the principles, the human values, laws and resolutions of the international community. I'm sure you've been following the GCC-Iran relation recently, in which I would like to conclude by emphasizing that we are looking forward to have relations based on the principles of good neighborhood and respects of the sovereignty of states, Charter of the International Law and the UN Chart, as well as the need to resolve disputes by peaceful means and to refrain from the use of threat or threat of forces. We hope that the new Iranian President, Ibrahim Raisi, will have a positive role in building a bridge of trust between the GCC and Iran through the commitments to the international law and practices that govern the relation between states. Unfortunately, Iran's continue to fail to fulfill its commitments and its violations and rising uranium enrichment rates beyond those needed for peaceful use. is certainly an alarming indicator and raises significant questions about the peaceful or military nature of the Iranian nuclear program. Hence, we call on Iran to abandon this step and to fully cooperate with international atomic energy agencies. Vienna talks should not be limited to the JCPOA, but it should address the Iranian destabilizing behavior in the region. Moreover, These war-related hostilities have endangered the safety of international navigations and oil installations more than once. Perhaps the recent incidents were targeting an oil tanker in the international waters offshore the Sea of Oman last July, in July 29, 2022, as well as the attempt to hijack another tanker on August 3rd, 2021 offshore the emirates of Fujairah and united arab emirates therefore the international community shall assume its responsibilities vis-a-vis those attacks based on the principles of international law to ensure that they will not be repeated in the future and to preserve the free movements of trade and oil supplies in this vital region of the world preserving the maritime security and waterways shipping lines. Finally, from this platform of this annual conference of the policymakers, we affirm that the GCC message for dialogue, peace and stability, as well as the need for hard and continuous work to achieve growth and prosperity for everyone. Thank you very much, Dr. Anthony, and I would like to appreciate all the effort your team taking to put this virtual meetings happening today. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Your Excellency. And I wanted the viewership audience uh, to realize that just yesterday, within the last 24 hours plus, uh, there was a meeting between His Excellency, the GCC Secretary General, and Robert Malley, the President's Special Representative uh, with respect to matters pertaining to Iran. And uh, these uh, issues are the ones that His Excellency just highlighted, having to do with not just the nuclear file and the return to the JCPOA, uh, but the aspects of Iran's uh, adventurous, expansionist, ambitious uh, missile Uh, program, in addition to its focus on unmanned aerial vehicles, uh, referred to often as drones, and how these have thwarted and violated uh, the airspace of uh, neighboring countries. Uh, Not mentioned, uh, but uh, certainly unique among nations, is that Iran's constitution obligates any Iranian government, every Iranian government, to do what it can to export the country's revolution. One uh, would be hard pressed to cite another international or national constitution of any country that has such a bold and anti-international law interventionist, a tenant as a moral political national duty and obligation of the country's citizenry. So this is no ordinary threat or adversary or challenge. Um, but as His Excellency underscored uh, through dialogue and searching for areas of common ground and mutuality of interest, reciprocity of, of rewards, uh, one has a greater chance of solving problems, making more effective decisions and evolving more effective policies per se, Uh, absent such dialogue, the prospects are closer to zero. And to be mindful of the fact that various American policies, inclusive of the ongoing sanctions against the Iranian regime that go all the way back beyond 40 years to the onset of the Iranian uh, revolution, have uh, from an Iranian perspective, Have been provocative, antagonistic, and alienating and providing uh, uh, an open door for China, especially in pursuit of its economic interests uh, that circumvent the foreign policy goals of having a much more peaceful, secure, and stable gulf uh, insofar as Iran's behavior is concerned. Uh, The GCC has stood uh, steadfast Uh, as have most of the members of the United Nations Security Council on the principle of non-interference by any country in the domestic affairs of another country. And, And this is the root of the issues of concern and legitimate concern, legitimate needs, legitimate interests, legitimate goals of all six of the GCC countries. And to marvel at the fact that not only has the United States and the GCC worked together as partners to accomplish many of the uh, achievements that his alluded to, uh, to, uh, but through these strategic dialogues, uh, one with Saudi Arabia, but one with Qatar that just included in the last week, but with each of the GCC countries, and the GCC as a whole, especially the working group component focused uh, on Iran. Uh, You've enlightened us a lot, your Excellency. You've educated us, and you provided us with empirical education, not a theoretical one, and helped to provide a corrective to much of the misinformation that abounds in the North American media. We're grateful, Your Excellency, all the best to you and your colleagues for continued effectiveness uh, at the Gulf Cooperation Council headquarters in Riyadh, and for a successful Manama Dialogue in Bahrain.
1: Thank you, Dr. Anthony. Thank you very
0: much. Yes. Thank you.
1: Maas Salaam.